You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. So get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're in a series called Breathtaking. The reason we've titled it that, because if I do my job right in preaching, and you do your job right in responding, there should be some audible gasp as we begin to read some of the impactful statements here that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers back in the first century. And... um, As we begin to think about this, you're in Ephesians chapter 2. I noticed in the headlines this week, I was watching the news, and annually Time Magazine releases an issue at the end of every year announcing who they have um, uh, designated as the person of the year. Have you ever noticed how they do this? And and, uh, some years it's kind of uh, a lot of different people you could choose from. This year it was kind of obvious. Um, And so that once again, they've passed over me and they have, uh, they've actually chosen uh, to no one's surprise, Donald Trump. And uh, that really shouldn't be a surprise. what's, What's kind of surprising about it is the title they put on the cover. It says Donald Trump, president of the divided states of America. It's really true, isn't it? There's so many different divisions in our country between Republican and Democrat, between rich and poor, black and white. We have differences between Irish and Wolverines and and, uh, uh, men and women, young and old. There's just so many different divisions. And it really shouldn't surprise us as a culture after we've kind of erased for 30 years the defining, unifying, absolute, transcendent truth, and we've just kind of said you can make up truth to be whatever you want it to be, and you can be your own individual and own autonomous person, should it really surprise us after 30 years of that that we don't have anything to unify around? And it's really a myth for us to think that a president or any other human being can be a unifying force but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what destroys the division, don't you? It's that no matter who you are, rich or poor, young or old, male or female, black or white, the unifying principle, the thing that brings us together, we come under the banner of Jesus Christ. We come to the place of worship. And it is the fact that we worship the same person that destroys all those dividing lines. And so that's the truth we're going to look at here this morning. I want you to see it from Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 14, then we're going to back up to verse 11 and work our way through the end of the chapter. Here is the breathtaking truth this morning. He, Jesus himself, is the person of the year. That's the truth. What does it say? He himself is our peace. You know, at Advent, we like to talk about those four words, love, joy, hope, and peace. And so at this Christmas season, we understand and celebrate that it is he and only he that can bring peace with God and peace with one another. He is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to underline, circle, put a box around those four words at the end of verse 14, 
the dividing wall of hostility. I wonder what Paul was thinking when he penned that very vivid illustration to the Ephesians. I think it could be that in his mind's eye, as he wrote those words, he was actually visualizing a physical wall that stood in Jerusalem at the temple. And scholars tell us that on the outside of this physical wall, there was a warning sign to Gentiles that you enter at the risk of your life to come to the other side of this wall. What was that wall? That wall was, a, uh, was, was the wall on the outer court that separated people from the presence of God. The Old Testament understanding of the presence of God is that God dwelled in the holy place on the other side of the wall. And only Jews, because of the sacrifices of the high priest, had access to the very presence of God. And if you were a Gentile, you shouldn't even try. As a matter of fact, if you went on the other side of the wall, you did it at the risk of your own life because you didn't have a covering, you weren't under the blood sacrifice of the high priest. And so enter at your own risk. And so I believe that Paul was visualizing this wall and maybe even seeing that sign. But do you see what he says? That Jesus Christ has broken down the dividing wall that separates us from the very presence of God himself. Do, do you, I brought, I brought one of our 75 nativities at the house. I brought it to church this morning. Do you, do you have some, how many of you have like 75 nativities at the house? And I don't know about you, I like to play with the nativities, okay? It's not a decoration for me. I get it out and we act out the Christmas story and, and it's, it's a big deal at our, our family. And so we love to think about the peaceful scene and we've got Mary and Joseph and we have the king and we have the shepherds and we have donkeys and of course we have the centerpiece, little baby Jesus. Do you, and, and the invitation is come and worship. We've even sung it this morning. Come and worship. Well, that's a nice thought, but what we have to understand this morning is there's a dividing wall. And you can't even come to the place of worship until the dividing wall has been broken down. And before we this morning can in a fresh new way come and worship, we have to be reminded of what Jesus did to break down the dividing wall. And remembering is an important exercise so much, I want you to see it here in verse 11 because what we have to understand is it is lonely to live on the wrong side of this wall. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember. I want you to underline that word remember. Look at it again in verse 12. What's the first word of verse 12? Remember, remember. There is something important. There is something breathtakingly significant about letting your mind remember where you came from. Remember where you were living on the wrong side 
of the wall. Why does Paul want these Ephesians to remember? Why do I want you to remember how lonely it was living on the wrong side of the wall? Because it will not take your breath away to come and worship this morning unless you fully remember what it was like to live on the other side of the wall. We too easily forget how awful it was to live separated from the life of God. So he wants us to remember this past week, um, somebody in our church that was a part of our church from the very beginning, um, they sent me something that made me remember. Um, they sent me a digital copy of our very first church directory as a church. Now, how many of you were around like in 2010, kind of in the second year of our church, and we set up a little, uh, a little photo studio out in the foyer of North Point Elementary School, and we had you come by, and we took your little Olin Mills picture, you know, of your little family. You got all dressed up, and then we actually printed. Do you remember the days when you used to print a church directory? Remember that? Some of you old-timers are like, yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't we do that again today? It's like, well, there's this thing called Facebook now, and uh, maybe you should get online. You can see everybody in the church there. But anyway, he sent me this digital copy, and, and I, 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 rem I had so many memories looking at some of you, <laughs> uh, the way that you looked in 2010. And uh, would you like to see what, what our family looked like? It, it made me remember. Would you like to see what eight years of church planting does to a person? Um, he, here it is, okay, so... Uh, there we are, yeah, yeah. Leah, my, my youngest daughter, she, she was asking me today if, or she was asking me this week if she could be in the sermon, and so I think she's regretting that decision now. Uh, but uh, there we are, and uh, it, it's good to go back and remember where you came from. And so I, I want us to do that here this morning. That's an act of worship to set us up to fully appreciate what God has done tearing down this dividing wall. Look at it here in verse 11. He says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, that was a very derogatory term. That would be the equivalent of calling someone the N-word today. It was a horrible term. You, the, the uncircumcision, the uncircumcision, and they're called that by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. I'm like, what in the world? We have to remember there was great hostility back in the first century between those who were from the line of Abraham, the Hebrew people, who had been given access to the covenant promises of God going all the way back in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 12, and those who were outside of the Abraham line, and that would be Everybody else in the world known as a Gentile, only two types of people in the world. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. And for most of us here today, we're kind of of this Gentile race. And the Jews, thinking that they had some type of favor from God, had begun to call names of the people that were outside of this covenant promise of God and thinking they had an advantage, they misunderstood the mark that identified them as Jewish. And so there was, there was, a, there was a mark, the, the circumcision, the, the operation of circumcision that marked a Jew. 
And so if you weren't circumcised, then you were called the uncircumcision. And it was a very derogatory term. And there was this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. What the Jews failed to understand is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2 about circumcision. What God always intended this outward sign of circumcision to be was a matter of the heart. Paul put it this way, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Yes, the Jewish people had been brought into covenant relationship with God, but they had failed to understand is what, the, is, is what made them have this relationship with God was not some physical mark on the outside. It was the fact that God had cut their heart and that they had this heart love relationship with him where over centuries of time, they had forgotten that and focused too much on the mark of the outside circumcision. And so Paul here is explaining to them that circumcision is a matter of the heart. And he's writing here in the, Ephes in the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus that was primarily made up of Gentile people. And he wants them to understand that whether you are Jew or Gentile, if it hasn't impacted your heart, you're still living on the wrong side of the wall. Look at verse 12. Remember, remember what it was like to be separated from Christ. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Whether Jew or Gentile, we were all born into this world on the wrong side of the wall. And he goes on to explain what it's like. He says, to be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Do you remember what it was like living on the wrong side of the wall? How isolated you were? Friendless alienated from the commonwealth and so we we kind of were isolated and autonomous and, and we didn't have a group that we belonged to certainly not a group that had unity around the covenants of promise we were not only friendless we were homeless strangers to the covenants of promise the word stranger there would be equivalent to the way that we use the word refugee in our culture we just we're living in a land that doesn't belong to us and we're trying to make it home and we're trying to feel settled down in this world, but it just always, we're just always feeling homesick. Where do I belong? And then he goes on and says, we were hopeless. We were without hope. The most tragic reality is when a human being lives without hope. He can't see a better day coming. He has no purpose that he's looking forward to in the future. There's no upgrade on the horizon from his current situation. And that's what it's like to live separated from Christ. And then the last thing is the worst of all, not only friendless, homeless, hopeless, but godless. You say, now wait a minute. God is everywhere present at the same time. That's, that's a truth in scripture that we learn. That's the omnipresence of God. But this tells us that until the wall of hostility is broken down, you have no access to the life, 
the mercy, the grace, the kindness, or the love of God. You live in this world without God because you are living on the wrong side of the wall of hostility. Bad news? That ought to take your breath away. Do you remember? Do you remember those days when you lived on the wrong side of the wall and the only resources you had was the resources of your own intelligence, your own creativity, your own ability to try to work up something good? You know, the tragic reality is some people in this room are still living in that condition. If it seems like there's a wall between you and God, do you know why it seems like that? Because there is a wall between you and God. You're like, well, I don't want there to be a wall. It's like, I, 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 I would think I want access to, to some of the life of God. Well, I'm glad you've come to the right place. And here's the good news. The good news is this. The wall of hostility has been replaced by the cross of peace. Look at verse 13. He says, but now, aren't you grateful for the conjunction, but? We've already seen it back up in verse four. We looked at that last week, but God. And until you have a but God story, you don't have God. We get down to verse 13 and he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Like, whoa, wait, what? Abolishing law, commandments, ordinances, what's all that about? We have to understand that in the Old Testament, God gave his people standards, commandments, laws, boundaries to govern behavior. We're most familiar with those as being the Ten Commandments. You know, only, the only problem with those Ten Commandments, those Ten Laws of God, what's the only problem? Um, none of us have kept them. We've disobeyed the law of God. And do you know what happens every time you disobey a law of God? You put another brick in the wall between you and God. Because after all, law spelled backwards <laughs> is wall. And every time you disobey the law, you put another brick in the wall of hostility between you and God. And so do you know what our, our natural response is? Is because we think we're good people and we overestimate our ability to scale walls. We try to climb the wall. We, we try to penetrate the wall. We try to sneak around the wall or dig under the wall or we just kind of pretend like the wall isn't there. Before you can fully appreciate that Jesus Christ is our priest, you have to fully appreciate your inability to climb the wall. The only way you have access to God is not by climbing over the wall, 
but God breaking through the wall from the other side. How did he do it? Verse, four, verse 15 says, he abolished the law. The way you have peace with God is not by keeping the law, it is by God abolishing the law. He's replaced the wall with something else. The cross of Christ. In verse 13, he says it's by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, he says, in his flesh. And then it goes on in verse 15 and says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What's this one new man? What he's basically saying there is Jesus didn't come to make us Jewish and Jesus didn't come to affirm that we're Gentiles. He's like, no, I'm creating something new. It's not about becoming a Jew, it's about becoming something new. One new man, a unified body in Jesus Christ, by his blood, in his flesh, through the cross. And he says in verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you understand the story of the cross? That as Jesus Christ came and he inflicted his flesh with the pain and the agony of the cross, what was happening at the cross in that moment is God was turning his hostility away from you and toward the wall. On the cross, by his blood, in his flesh, the wall of hostility was broken down. Jesus Christ absorbed the hostility of God that was meant for you. And with every drop of blood that fell, there was another brick in the wall that was broken down, thereby giving you access to the peace of God. And then he says in verse 17, he, Jesus, came, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, but he didn't just come, he didn't just stay a, a baby. If your thought of Jesus is, you know, a five pound, six ounce little baby Jesus in a golden fleece diaper, that is not the king of kings that you should be thinking of right now. Jesus grew up and the only reason he became a baby is because he needed flesh. The only reason he needed flesh is because he needed nerve endings. The only reason he needed nerve endings is to experience the pain of the hostility of God for sin on your behalf. And he came, but he didn't just come, he also preached. He came and he preached peace. Who did he preach to? He preached to you who were far off. Who was that? The Gentiles. And he came and preached peace to those who were near. Who's that? The Jews. So whether you are near or far, you still need to be preached to. You may be somebody here and you say, well, I'm not a Jew, but I, I kind of grew up here in this story and celebrating Christmas and my parents drug me to church and, and I've heard this and I could probably tell it better than you and I even kind of know where you're going in the message and stuff. Well, you're a person that's near. You're, you're near. 
You, you need to be preached to. The peace of God. Maybe you're here and this is the first experience you've ever had in church. And this is the first time you've ever understood the cross and the blood and the flesh. And what are you talking about? The hostility and I'm hearing about this dividing wall. I thought God liked me and I thought God was nice. And maybe you're hearing it all. Listen, you need to hear this too. The only way to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And to understand, to accept his payment for your sin. You can't do it by ascending a wall. The only way you can have access to God is by him coming through it. And that's what he did at Christmas time. And so whether you're near or you're far, you need to have this peace. Then verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. The wall of hostility has been replaced by the cross of peace. He's like, well, what implication does that have? Um, just this, point three, now together we can live life without walls. Look at it here in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's great news, right? I mean, we remembered what it was like to live on the other side of the wall. He's like, now there is no wall. You're no longer in that condition. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Do you know what that means? You're no longer friendless. You're citizens. You're no longer homeless. You're family. You're no longer hopeless, but now you're being built you're joined together and you're growing. And every day is a new opportunity to be something that you could never be apart, living on the other side of the wall. No longer godless, but let this thought take your breath away. But you are now a dwelling place for God. Look at verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Do you see how we're built? What's he building? Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you remember that wall? Do you remember that sign warning the Gentiles? Don't come any farther, you risk incinerating yourself. Do you know what Paul is saying here? Because the dividing wall has been broken down, there are no longer walls between us and the presence of God. As a matter of fact, the reason he's broken down the wall is because he wants to dwell not only with you, but in you. And you together, you and you and you and you, if you're in Christ, we come together and God is building this superstructure, not with brick and mortar, but with hearts and lives. Not with walls and roof, but with the bodies of those who come and God dwells in us. Together we live a life without walls. Now, I said all of that to say this. I saved the best part for the end, okay? Um, I don't know if that's taken your breath away this morning, that there's been this 
dividing wall of hostility broken down and you have access to God, that ought to take your breath away. But there's a point of implication here in this text. The reason Paul is writing this is not only because of the vertical application, but because of the horizontal application it has with us. Together, you and I, uh, we need to make sure there are no dividing walls of hostility toward you, toward you and me, Be between black and white, rich and poor, husbands and wives, parents and children. The question is this, if you really understand that the wall has been broken down, why is it that you and I continue to build walls of hostility between one another? Why are we living in the divided states of America? Why are there still dividing walls of hostility between black and white? Have you ever considered the incredible diversity at the nativity? I mean, think about it. Um, it, we've got all these different characters here. How about, how about these guys right here? Do, do you remember the kings, the, the wise men in the Christmas story? Do you remember this? You can read about it in Matthew chapter two. How many wise men were there? Um, where are you getting that information? Uh, the Bible does not tell us there were three kings. Um, it does tell us they brought three gifts. Do you remember the three gifts? Uh, gold, frankincense, and Myrrh, you know your Christmas trivia. Very good. Okay. Now listen, um, just because there were three gifts does not mean there were three kings. You say, now wait a minute. I heard Matt playing the saxophone and he played we three kings from Orient are. And so that must be, well, the tradition would say there's three kings, but we don't know exactly. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, it doesn't tell us where they came from. It just tells us they came from the east. They came from afar. And so we don't know exactly where they, they were. We know that they, God had given them some revelation through some things that they were looking at in the sky and we don't even understand what all that was about. But, but th this is what we assume. We assume the kings look like us. Tradition, church tradition, if you ever see artwork of these kings, these wise men, quite often you'll notice that at least one of these wise men is a black man. And um, I couldn't find a nativity set with a, a black man, so I got a Sharpie marker and I, I made a more correct um, version of the nativity here. So um, now, now seriously, we don't know, but, but I would say this, more than likely, the skin color of those men was darker than most of the people in this room. And yet, when we think of the people at the Nativity, uh, they seem to look like us, Western European. In reality, um, everybody at the Nativity probably looked more like Osama bin Laden than you. So why is it that we build walls of hostility between people that don't look like us? Why is there still a wall of hostility? If you had your breath taken away by the fact that God has 
broken down the wall of hostility between God and man, you would not allow walls of hostility to be built between black and white. Think about the diversity. Not only black and white at the nativity, how about this? How about the, the diversity of rich and poor? I mean, think about it. Uh, we think about the kings that brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Quite likely, there was hundreds of people in that entourage because kings don't arrive by themselves. And they didn't come riding camels. The Bible doesn't tell us that. They likely came riding Persian horses from which they from the area from which they came. And so there's probably an entourage of these people with, with lavish gifts for the newborn king. And yet, who else was at the nativity? There was this guy. You know who that guy is? That's a shepherd. And we remember that it was to the shepherds. Now that was the lowest of class of individual in the culture minimum wage type job. And as the shepherd was out in his field keeping watch over his flock by night, the angel appeared to him and said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth among those with which he is pleased. And these shepherds were the first to receive the good news. And yet, who did they, who did they all gather there to see? It was through the access that we that we have because God has broken down the hostility between God and man. Therefore, we all come rich or poor the same way. There is no advantage. Young and old. I, I have recently spent some time talking to some pastors and, and, um, and their churches have gotten old. And it, it really is because uh, of a failure to appreciate that next generation. I love the fact that we had the, the young people up here and, and the fact that those of you that are older understand that if we don't reach the next generation, this church will die with you. And so we, we need to make sure there are no dividing walls of hostility. And if you're a younger person, if somehow you don't have an appreciation for the wisdom and the years of those who are older, uh, yesterday uh, we gathered together and many of us went out to some of the assisted care facilities in the community just to honor those with Christmas carols. And, and uh, so often we, we want to divide over young and old and preferences that young and old but, but look here. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, this dude is ancient. <laughs> Maybe he's an old king. I, we don't know the age of the guy. But he was coming to bow down and worship a baby. Mary herself, I don't know what you believe about Mary. She was probably around 15 years old. And so incredible diversity there. And we need to make sure there's no dividing walls between young and old. How about dividing walls that still exist between husband and wife? Think about this. Joseph and Mary. Do you know that even within the Christmas story, we have to wrap our minds around the concept of divorce? Mary and Joseph were what we would say dating. We would probably even say engaged. They were betrothed. In that culture, a betrothal was taken so seriously that in order to break up, you actually had to file for divorce. Well, when 15-year-old Mary shows up and says, hey, 
15-year-old Joseph, or however old he was, we don't know. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm pregnant. Joseph's in there like, I don't remember us being intimate. That would have only meant in his mind that she had been unfaithful. And in his mind, grounds for divorce, he began the proceedings, the Bible says, to put her away. Same word that is translated divorce in the New Testament. And do you know that even in the Christmas story, there was the potential for a dividing wall to come between a husband and a wife? over hostility. What kind of hostility do you think in Joseph's mind was toward Mary the moment that he heard the news she was pregnant? In this room right now, the sad reality is there are walls of hostility that have been built up over years between husband and wife. And you can point to all kinds of reasons why she burned the toast, he came home late, he was flirting with someone. She was unfaithful. All kinds of different parameters. She doesn't spend the money right. He doesn't make the money. I mean, we, could, we could make a big list. Whatever your list is, I've heard them all. Can I just let you know? Marriages that end in divorce and marriages that last for a lifetime essentially face the same issues. The only difference between the marriage that goes the distance and the marriage that ends in divorce is whether or not you allow a wall of hostility to be built. The list of offenses that you have toward your spouse, the list of offenses that you have, you will either deal with them with grace, forgiveness, and forbearance, or you will deal with them with anger, rage, and hostility. The story of the gospel for those of us that come and worship Jesus Christ is this. We are so over, we have had our breath taken away so much by the fact that God has destroyed the dividing wall between me and him. He's treated me so much better than I deserve that I will not allow a dividing wall of hostility to be built between me and another person. And I will take the initiative to break down the wall that I didn't build. God didn't build the dividing wall between me and him. I built it. But he broke it down. And whenever a husband will say, I am going to do whatever it takes to bring peace where there is currently hostility, that's a marriage that goes a distance. Why is there still a dividing wall between you and your spouse? If you would have your breath taken away by the fact that he has broken down the dividing wall between you and God, you would break down the dividing wall between you and your spouse. How about dividing walls between parents and children? Is there something your children have done to rebel against you, to shame you, to embarrass you? Kids, if there's something that your parents have done, you feel like they've been overreaching or overbearing, is there a dividing wall between you and your parent, between you and your child? If you would allow your breath to be taken away by the fact that God has torn down the dividing wall between you and him, you would not allow there to be a dividing wall between you and a parent. For some of you that are adults, you actually have parents that you're gonna gather with at the Christmas table and it's gonna be awkward because there's been a wall of hostility being built 
for years? Would you allow yourself to be breathtaken by the fact that God has torn down the dividing wall between you and him so that you would tear down the dividing wall between you and a parent? You say, but wait a minute, Trent, you don't understand my family. My family's complex. I mean, we got biological kids and we got biological parents, but we got blended parents and blended. We got in-laws and outlaws and Trent, you just don't know what it's going to be like at Christmas. I, I get it. I get it. How many of you have some type of blended family? It's just like, we're not even sure where these people came from or who's related and like how'd they get in the family and there was the death of a parent and then there was a remarriage and then there was a widowing and a third you know, generation and we got cousins and, and stepkids and all kinds, there's people that have adopted kids. I, do we see that at the nativity? Think about Joseph. Joseph was not the biological father of that baby in the manger. He was the stepdad. Think about the brothers of Jesus. They were stepbrothers. And for any of those of you that think you have a brother or sister that was always treated like the perfect child, think about what was going on in the family of Jesus here, okay? I mean, can you imagine the... You know, Joseph and Mary having a discipline session with Jesus' brothers. Like, why can't you be more like Jesus? And they're like, Mom and Dad, why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, it's like, that not that the whole goal of life is to be more like Jesus? Yeah, do you think there was maybe some hostility? Maybe some comparison issues? Do you think maybe there was some favoritism issues going on there? Is, is that what happens in your family? It's blended and it's like, I, I don't know if I can discipline my kid and I don't know if I should. Have I won his heart? Have I won the trust? And is, is all that going on? Have you allowed a wall of hostility to be built between you and your stepmother, stepfather, stepbrother, stepsister? It's complicated, isn't it? It is only in having your breath taken away by the fact that God has torn down the wall of hostility toward you that gives you the desire and the power to tear down all of the hostility and to remove all the walls so that we can all come and be peacemakers. What are the bricks that build the walls? Here's a few things. Bricks that build walls of hostility differences. We're just different. We come from different backgrounds, different traditions. We have different parenting styles. We have, we have different values. And all of them need to come under the lordship of Christ. Different skin color. Um, right now in working with uh, uh, Pastor Enrique from Belize, his native uh, language is Spanish. My native language is Oklahoman. And we're having some communication issues. And I'm like, why doesn't he communicate better? How arrogant of me to think that Oklahoman is better than Belize. It's just arrogant. In humility, I don't need to judge whether or not it's good enough. I need to be challenged with the fact, am I listening? Am I learning? And am I loving? Because that's what Christ did, to break down the wall. He came to where I was, he learned my language. He entered into my world and he loved me in spite of where I was or who I was. Fear. 
We're, we're afraid. Am, am, I, am I putting myself at risk by engaging a person that's not like me, that looks different than me, that speaks different than me, that dress different than me and, and is older than me or, or is a different gender than I am? A pride in thinking that somehow I'm better than the person that, that's on the other side of the wall. Or, or here's a reality, bitterness and unforgiveness. Maybe you've actually been hurt and you've got legitimate reason why that person's not safe. Now, there, there's a, an understanding there needs to be some boundaries in every relationship, but if somehow the reason that you have a wall in that relationship and there's still hostility in that relationship is because of your failure to forgive, you're only hurting yourself. It's ripping you apart from the inside. The way that walls are torn down is through grace, forgiveness, and love. And until you forgive, there's always gonna be a wall. Or it could be just simply, you know all of this and you know the wall should be torn down. You know you should be a peacemaker, but you won't do it. Well, that's just a hard heart of rebellion. This morning, would you allow the breathtaking reality that God has broken down the wall between you and him to have massive implications on the walls that need to be broken down between you and whoever it is that God brought to mind when we were going through that list. Who is it? As a matter of fact, why don't you just bow your heads? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Do you understand that God wants to make your heart his dwelling place? Do you understand that God wants to make your marriage his dwelling place? God wants to make this body of believers his dwelling place. And he wants to make this community his dwelling place. You know what prevents it? Walls of hostility that we build. And so this morning, would you release the bitterness, the hostility? Would you remember what we've said at the very beginning? He is our peace. Is there peace in your heart with God? Some of you may have never come on the other side of the wall and you're living alone, separated from Christ, alienated from God, strangers to hope, and you're living without God in this world. If you'll come this morning and trust what Christ did by his blood on the cross. The cross of peace can break down that wall of hostility between you and God by faith, opening your heart, trusting Christ. That's the story of Christmas. But maybe for most of us here, the most practical application is that we need to head out of here today and we need to make contact with somebody it's on the other side of that wall. Wall of hostility between you, a family member, a coworker, a former friend, someone that you used to go to church with. Father, I pray that right now you would bring to mind the people and their names where they are right now. 
that we need to become peacemakers toward. God, we, in our humility, uh, thank you that you've done everything necessary to break through the wall of hostility between you and us. And so God, would you make us peacemakers? Don't let us live content with walls of hostility between us. God, only you can make this practical. Only you know the relationships that are divided, that are hostile, that are not what would glorify you. And I pray that for every one of us, including my own heart, that you would show us what we need to do this week, maybe even around a conversation at Christmas with family where it's been awkward and hostile. God, would you put within our hearts a desire to love and forgive and forbear. I pray for husbands and wives that would not allow another brick in the wall, but that by grace and forgiveness and love, that wall would be broken down even today. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I've prayed for you. And uh, I have no idea what needs to happen next in your heart. I do know this, our pastors are going to be here at the end of the service. We're always available to pray with you. Maybe you need to come and ask for some wisdom or you need somebody to pray for you over a situation that's, that's just kind of difficult, awkward. We're here to pray with you and give you whatever counsel we can. Some of you might just want to come and kneel here at the altar and say, Lord, I know that in the next week I'm going to be facing a conversation or I'm going to be with family that's going to be weird. And I need your help. I need your grace. And so the altar is always open for that. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. If you need to come, you can come. Mike is going to lead us in a very familiar Christmas carol about Jesus who is our peace. He's the peacemaker. Let's sing it out and declare.